not the snare. <laughs> it means they have an understanding. So you can close the door. <laughs> yeah. So of course, of course, God doesn't want us um, doesn't want us to sin. But yet, one of the six hundred thirteen commandments is that if if we do do a sin, so then we have the opportunity to to do tshuva. One of the six hundred thirteen commandments. So it's not as if a person should say, "Well, let me do a sin so I can fulfill that mitzvah." Uh, of course, that's not what that's not what Hashem wants. As we're going to get further on to this discussion, we're going to see that um, the tshuva exists even. Uh, even without even without the idea of sin, we're going to talk about that. Now, being that this is a commandment from the Torah, of course, many many comments discussed very much in the in the Gemara and the Talmud, discussed very very much, especially in Masech uh, Yuma, which is the Masech the tractate that talks about the Yom Kippur. I'm going to be bring a couple of quotes from there. Then, of course, you have the the Rambam Maimonides in his um, in his Mishnah Torah. He has he has the laws of tshuva which consists of 10 chapters. And of course, many commentaries have been written on that. And then you have, let's save the questions for, for, and then of course you have from other great rabbis, from other great Rishonim, you know, from that era, you know, 13th century, 12th century rabbis who have written works on tshuva. And then of course you have in Hasidus. Hasidus, of course, this is a major theme um, that, that is talked about. So again, this is a really, really a gigantic subject. The whole section in the Tanya itself. I mean, the Tanya, of course, itself is a seminal work um, of Hasidus. And over there, there's a whole section devoted to the concept of tshuva. So again, I'm just going to touch on, on a few, on a few major points. The um, the word tshuva. Let's you know, let's analyze the the word tshuva itself. Now, the word tshuva usually is translated. Usually it's translated as repentance. That's the way it's usually translated. Um, which gives the connotation that you know a person did something wrong against Hashem, so he repents, he regrets, he regrets what he did, and now he wants to turn over a new leaf and begin to do the right things. That's the way it is normally is normally understood. Uh, if that's the translation of tshuva, then this is something which is not unique to the Torah. If Hashem gives us a commandment uh, to do tshuva, to, to do this kind of repentance, obviously there is something, there's something uh, unique about it. This is something which uh, could exist even without the Torah. You do something wrong, so you repent, you regret what you did, and you change your ways, you change your behavior. Obviously there has to be something much more to the idea of tshuva. That Hashem had to, had to command us uh, to have this uh, this idea of tshuva. <coughs> now, if you look at the Hebrew, and this is where it's very helpful to know a little bit of Hebrew, where the word tshuva more literally translates as return. That's the more that's the literal translation. Now, of course, you have to acknowledge that repentance repentance is part of that because if a person is not going to regret what he did, then he's never going to have the desire to change direction. So, but, but on the other hand, repentance is not true to itself. Repentance is that, is that first step where a person can feel bitter and, and regret what he did, which is really a positive emotion. 
See, this is also something which is a very important point uh, to, to remember, that, uh, of course, Judaism and, and Hasidus stresses very much that we be happy and everything. Um, the, the idea of, of feeling bitter about something, the idea of regretting having done something, is a positive emotion. Now, there is a fine line between that and depression, and uh, you know, feeling bad about yourself and things like that. There, there is a fine line there, but feeling bitter is a positive emotion. If Hashem didn't give us that ability, then we would never change direction. Can you imagine just feeling good about everything that you did? You never, you never have to change anything. So there's no question about it that repentance and regret and feeling bad about what you did is that, is that first step that sparks, that sparks you to do tshuva. But it is not really, it is not really part of tshuva itself, because the word tshuva again is translated best as return. Now, when you talk about return, what are you returning to? When you say return. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of implication there. Uh, of, course, of course, the first implication is that, that you've gone away from something, but it also implies that you still have a connection to the place where you left. Otherwise, otherwise it's not called returning, it's going there for the first time. It's much like when a person leaves home. So then you say, I'm returning home. I don't know if you guys are learning the mind of Basil Lagani or not. It's the same. It's you know, it's, it's a similar, it's a similar concept. That in that, in that verse over there, the implication is that even after having left, you still have a connection. That's still, that's still who you are, and that's still your home. But there's a need, there's a need to go back there. And this is precisely what the idea of tshuva, what the idea of tshuva is all about. The idea of tshuva is a recognition that, that there's a part of me that no matter how I behave, no matter what I do, I can't change that. And it's a recognition that there are certain things that I have done that doesn't fit in with who I really am. And when a person recognizes that, so then the person could begin to take the steps of returning Returning to what? Returning to who he really is. And this is what makes the, the, the whole concept of tshuva something which is very unique. Because again, when, when you think about repentance, you're thinking about the person. Right? What's the big thing that we all want to work on? I want to change myself. I have a bad habit. I want to quit smoking or, or whatever other habit it might be. And I think that I have to, I have to change myself. I have to transform myself into somebody else. That who I was before, it's no good, it doesn't work, it doesn't make me feel happy, I don't get along with other people, whatever it might be, and now I have to change myself. I have to undergo a transformation. Now, if you think about that, it's, it's, it's very nice in a dream, very nice in a fantasy, but how can a person really undergo a transformation? I mean, I am whoever I am. How can I really transform myself? So a person tries to change his habits and everything, but you always, you always go back, you always go back to who you are. Recognition of what does it mean to be a Jew? Okay, so let me, you know, let me, let me go off a little bit on a, a little bit on a tangent. We discuss our relationship with Hashem. Okay, we have a relationship with God. Our relationship exists on different levels. And 
And the best thing, the, the best way of, of describing, the best way of explaining it would be to use an example of a parent-child relationship. And we find this, we find this metaphor throughout the entire Torah about how Hashem refers to us as His children. The, the relationship between a parent and a child exists on two levels. There's the external aspect of the relationship where they live in the same house, and they do things for each other, and they interact with each other, and they do favors for each other, and they listen to each other, and that is the aspect of, the, of their relationship. But there's, there's a deeper aspect of the relationship, which sometimes is not thought about, and it doesn't come to the surface sometimes, which is that there is, there's an essential bond, that this child is the flesh and blood, is the you know, biological offspring of these two parents, and which imbues into the child certain characteristics, both physical, emotional, certain tendencies and certain habits, that, uh, that, the chi- that is just part and parcel of who the child is. Now, of course, the child has free choice, and the child could go on to, uh, to develop certain things or, or not to develop certain things, uh, to... Uh, to, to um, to do good or to do bad, but the child, the, the creation, so to speak, of the child, physical, emotional, besides the, the raising of the child, just in the, in the formation of the child, the child is the flesh and blood of these, of these two people. And that is something that the child will never, ever be able to change. He won't be able to transform that. He'll be able to either act it out in a good way or utilize it in a bad way, chas v'shalom, but... The, the essence of who he is, in terms of, I'm talking about on, on a more physical, I'm not, I'm not talking about the soul level yet, I'm not talking about that, we'll get to that soon, but on, on a deep level, there's nothing that the child can do to, to change that. The child could be adopted by other parents and raised by other parents and for all practical purposes, his adopted parents are his parents and we'll call them mom and dad and everything, but there's one thing that he cannot change. He is the biological offspring of these two people and which has invested within him certain, uh, you know, certain physical traits and certain uh, emotional traits as well. So when you have a, a regular, you know, the, the child-parent relationship, it exists on two levels. There's the external interaction that takes place, and then there's that essential bond. Now, these two levels of a relationship are not totally separate from each other, because what happens is that when a child, let's say, listens to his parents, you know, let's say the, 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 the mother or the father asks the child, please get me a glass of water. Get me a glass of water. So the child gets a, goes and gets a glass of water for the parent. Very simple act. The mother or the father could have asked, there was, there was a neighbor in the house, a friend, a good friend of the family, please get me a glass of water, and the neighbor would have done the same thing. Now, on the surface, you have two people bringing them a glass of water. Very similar act um, on the external level, there's an interaction with them, they get along with each other, they like each other, and one person asked the other person to do a favor, so they they did a favor, they brought him a glass of water. That's on the external level. On a deeper level, when the child brings the glass of water, there's, there's a greater depth to it, in the sense that the child is expressing that essential bond that exists between them. The child has this essential bond with his parents. How does he express it? Well, he could express it by saying, I love you. He could express it in words, and he could express it in deeds. But that essential bond, as deep as it is, it needs to be expressed. When a good friend 
does a favor for you. So of course, there's also he's expressing a deeper feeling for you, but you cannot say that it's an essential bond. A friendship, you cannot say that it's an essential bond. A friendship is formed, not not from the inside out. What do you mean essential bond? It's part of the essence. It's part of who he is. See, a friendship is formed from the outside in. The meeting you happen to go to the same yeshiva, and I, I meet you now, and we hit it off. We have similar interests and similar goals, and we, or we challenge each other, or it could be a love-hate relationship, whatever it might be. There's, it starts from the outside, and then as time goes on, it goes deeper and deeper. And deeper. The friendship begins from the outside, and it works its way in. You can have a very dear friend for 20 years, for 30 years, for 50 years, and you feel very, very close. Or, for example, if you talk about uh, a spousal relationship, a husband and wife. It's also, in a sense, it's also in a sense from the outside in. As opposed to people of the same family, that kind of relationship begins from the inside and hopefully works its way out. The relationship begins because that's who they are. They are the same flesh and blood. Not just in the physical sense, but also in a more, in a more spiritual sense. And hopefully, that will express itself in the way that they behave with each other, etc. See, that's why Hasidus explains, for example, there's a lot of tangents to go on up here. Hasidus explains the difference, for example, between a husband-wife relationship and the relationship of a brother and a sister. Where a husband-wife relationship, it's, uh, you know, there's the ups and downs. It's like, it's like a fire. It flickers upwards and sometimes it gets less. Because there's, there's, there's some friction over there. You have two people, opposite kinds of people, a man, a woman, and they come together and they, and they develop a relationship. So on one end, it's very deep, but it's, it, it's not like a constant, smooth kind of relationship. And hopefully it sinks in very deeply and over years, etc. And the truth is that's I mean, the way the Torah describes it. That, that's really when you talk about the, you know, the concept of love. In the beginning, you know, husband and wife, they don't... I mean, they might, it's, it's a very external, emotional kind of love. Real love comes, you're married to a person for 50 years, then you can really say that you, know, that, that you love them. Except on a deeper level, you have Abraham calling Sarah his sister, and he really means that she's like a sister to him. And in Shir and Shirim, that's right. In Chassid, that's these different relationships. I mean, we have all these relationships with Hashem. These, these represent different levels of our relationship. But just for the purpose of our discussion, this is the difference. As, a, as opposed to a brother and a sister, there, there's, there's an essential bond there. It's, it's not going to... Okay, someone's brother and sister might not get along with each other so much, but there's, it, it's more of a calm, it's more of a calm kind of uh, relationship because it's something which is coming from the essence. And hopefully it finds its way into, um, into expression. So getting back to our relationship between us and Hashem. So our relationship with Hashem was also exists on these two levels. There's an essential bond that we have with Hashem that no matter what we do, no matter how terrible I am, no matter what I've done in my life, no matter how I've been brought up, doesn't matter what. There's an essential bond that we have with Hashem. This is who I am. I am a child of Hashem. In the sense that my neshama, that my soul is just a part of Hashem and I have this essential relationship and there's nothing that I can do to damage that relationship. I could ignore Hashem, chas v'shalom, I could do everything against Hashem, do all the wrong things, but the, that fact still remains that I have that essential bond with Hashem. Even the point of Zerah? Yeah. 
There's nothing, a Jew, there's nothing. I'm going to get to that On this essential level, there's nothing that you can do. I mean, much like a child. The child, he could hate his parents for whatever reason, just never speak to them for the rest of his life. The fact is, still remains. He is their child. Can't change that. Then there's also the external, so to speak, relation that we have with Hashem, where we do things with Hashem asks us to do this, all the 613 commandments with all of the details and all of the halakhas and everything, and hopefully we do it. Sometimes we mess up a little bit, and sometimes we do it. So we have these two aspects of our relationship with Hashem. Now, what we have to realize is that when we do a mitzvah, when we follow Hashem's commandment, this is really an expression this is really an expression of this essential bond that we have with Hashem. That's really what it is. Now, what happens when we mess up? God forbid. What happens then? We mess up. We do an Aveda. Okay. So again, let's go back to our example of the child and the father. If you were given the job, okay, a parent comes to you and says, and my child, my son, hasn't spoken to me in years. For some reason, he hates us. He doesn't want to talk to us. He doesn't want to have anything to do with us. You know, please, you know, please help me, help us out. You know, try to restore the relationship. So what would you do? You would go to the son, and you would appeal to the essential bond that he has with his parents. You're not going to say to the child, well, you know, your parents are really great people. The son says, no, they're not great people. I don't like them. I hate them. They've done terrible things. I'm embarrassed. Well, you know, whatever he says. If you are going to appeal to try to restore the external aspect of the relationship, the child has damaged that. The child has cut off those kinds of ties. And appealing to that is going to be resistance on the part of the child. <coughs> but you, the, the only way that you can restore it is that you appeal to the essence and you say to the child, well, these are your parents. These are your parents. This is not a friend. It's not, these are your parents, and then you appeal to that essential bond, and then what happens? Hopefully. I mean, even, even in that case, the person can still ignore it, but at least there you have the chance of restoring the relationship between, between the child and the parent. Not only on the essential level, because over there there's nothing to restore. That is something which always remains a constant. But that's what you go to in order to restore the external aspect of the relationship. So similarly it is between us and Hashem. There's the external, Hashem asks us to do a lot of things. Hashem wants to interact with us. Hashem says, here, I've given you all these commandments, you do them, then you're doing something for me, and we have a great relationship. And we connect to each other, we communicate, so to speak, with each other. But we mess up sometimes. And we don't want to communicate with Hashem. We ignore Hashem. I want to go about my own way in the world and enjoy life, so to speak. Not that keeping Torah doesn't mean that you can, can't enjoy life, but enjoying life in the negative sense I, mean. I don't want to give the impression that keeping Torah mitzvahs is not enjoyable because it's, it's supposed to be enjoyable and if it's not there's a problem but that's, that's a whole separate discussion for another time so if a person messes up so how do, we, how do I do how do I restore that I become aware I appeal to the essential bond that I have with Hashem when that comes to the forefront so then, that is able to patch up, that's able to fix up any kind of blemish that was created on the external level of the relationship. If I would, if I would go to a person, a friend of mine, I, for whatever reason, I punch him in the face. 
And the next day, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I mean, the guy will say, okay, I forgive you, but you know, it's not as if he's going to talk to me again, really. It's not as if he's going to want to do things with me again. I mean, punch me in the face. Okay, fine, you have a moment of anger, and okay, I forgive you, whatever, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to want to hang around with you anymore. So just saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, does not restore the relationship to the way it was beforehand. It doesn't do that. I'm always going to remember, or you're always going to remember, that I punched you in the face. It's always going to be there. Because there, when I, when I just say I'm sorry, what am I saying? I'm sorry, I won't do it again. I really, I really feel bad for doing it. But the, the blemish is still there. Even after the bruise heals. It's, the, the blemish is still there. So simply between us and Hashem, we did something wrong. So I'm going to say to Hashem, Hashem, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'll even shed a few tears. Hashem, I won't do it ever again. That's not enough to restore the relationship. The blemish is still there. But you still did the Averi yesterday. You still punched me in the face, Hashem says. That's not true. That's what we think of as, you know, as repentance, okay? So we said, I'm sorry, and okay, we can go on. Hashem says, okay, I won't punish you, I won't punch you back. He said, I'm sorry, very good, but our relationship has been damaged. Real tshuva is bringing to the forefront that essential bond. On that level, it doesn't matter. On that level, it doesn't matter. There's that essential bond, it doesn't matter who did. You're, you're my father, and I'm your child, and that's it. And bringing that to the forefront is able to really make it so that the relationship should return to the way it truly was beforehand, that all things are forgotten. And ask a parent who, who the child just ran away and didn't speak to them for 20 years, and then the child comes back, and the parent just, that, that because of that essential love that's there, the parent is just able to totally forget about it as if it never ever happened. Those 20 years never happened. Why? Because that, that there's that essential bond. So that's what tshuva is. Tshuva is the recognition. <coughs> that there's that essential bond that we have with Hashem. Something which cannot ever be severed. Cannot be, be severed. It cannot ever be cut off and you can't damage it. You can't blemish it. You could pile a lot of dirt on it and you could ignore it. But that's something which cannot be changed. And then when the person realizes that, so then all of his external behavior will, so to speak, kick in and will be in accordance with that. In other words, the person recognizes that all of these other things that I did, I was going against myself. I was acting not according to who I really am. And that's what truth is. Truth is a return to oneself. I'm returning to who I really am. I recognize who I am, and now my external behavior is going to be expressing who I really am, whereas beforehand it wasn't. See, we have that ability. This is really, if you want to get into discuss a little deeper, when we talk about free choice. About free choice. If you think about it, free choice is not really that free. I don't have a choice about, uh, you know, whether I'm born a Jew or not. I'm not, I don't have a free choice as to who I'm going to be born to and where I'm going to be born and with what kind of tendencies I'm going to be born with. I don't have any free choice about that. 
I'm programmed. So where, so where is my free choice? A little baby doesn't have to go. A little baby is brought up in a certain way, in a certain kind of environment. Where's the free choice? The free choice comes in to the way it is according to Torah. I have the choice to accordance with who I really am or not. Hashem gives us a very interesting ability that we can be actors. We can be actors. We could, you know, right? like Shakespeare said, life, life is a stage. We could, we could be actors. I'm acting roles. I'm not, I'm not who I am. My whole life is an act. So when I appear in front of this audience, I act in a certain way. When I appear in front of this audience, I act in a certain way. But who am I? Am I really acting in accordance with who I really am? That's where the free choice comes in. Hashem gives us the free choice to be actors. To act in a way that it is not in accordance, it is not in harmony with who we really are. We have that ability. Tshuva is making the choice, is the recognition of who I really am and allowing that to dictate my behavior. No, repeat that again. Repeat that sentence again. Tshuva is the ability to... to in other words, it's, the, it's the recognition of who I really am and allowing that to dictate my behavior. That's what tshuva is. See, in other words, you can do Torah and mitzvahs in a way where you're acting also. Now, of course, deep down, that is an expression of who you really are. But I'm not consciously aware of it. See, you know, unfortunately, you could have, unfortunately, you could, you could have Jews with beards down to their belt line and then, you know, with hats, black hats and everything. But if a person is not in touch with who he really is, then he's an actor. So some people act one way and some people act another way. Tshuva, again, is, is that ability that all the things that I'm doing, even if you're doing all of the right things already, even then you need to do tshuva. In other words, the, the point that I'm getting at, this is what I'm sort of, so to speak, veering into now, and this, is, and this is one of the very important concepts that Hasidus teaches. And when the Baal Shem Tov, of course, the founder of Hasidus, came out to the scene, this is one of the fundamental things that he taught, and, which, and at, that, at that time was really very controversial. That tshuva is not only for sins. People think, tshuva? <laughs> I don't do any sins, I'm a pretty good guy. If you can imagine the, the kind of scene that existed then in the times of the Baal Shem Tov, you had people that were really, really pious. Really pious. They secluded themselves in a base medrash and literally learned 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day, subsisting on bread and water, having nothing to do with physical temptations, the physical world. Really, really pious people. Comes along the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov teaches, you have to do tshuva. <laughs> What? What are you doing? I have to do tshuva? Here I am sitting, I, I just, I'm totally immersed in holiness, in prayer, in learning a whole day. I, I, I never say words of Lashon Hara, I never speak, any word that I speak is words of Torah. And you're telling me that I have to do tshuva? What, 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 what the fuck? And, you know, the, 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 you know, some people at that time had a very hard time accepting that idea. But what, I, what I'm telling you, this, this is what the Baal Shem was teaching. 
If tshuva is a recognition of who you are, and allowing that to dictate your behavior, you need to do that even if you're doing all of the right things already. Now, of course, you need to do that if you're doing the wrong things as well. But even if you're doing all of the right things, you need to have that sense of doing tshuva. You need to return to a deeper part of yourself and allow that to find expression in all of the right things that you are doing. There's a, there's a famous story with the uh, with uh, two Talmidim, two students of the Magid, the Magid of Mizrich, who was the successor of the, the Valshamta. And they were having a conversation. And one says to the other, I, I really have to do tshuva, I just have so many avayas, so many things I did wrong, I have to fix up. And the other one turns and says, you're worried about your avayas? I'm worried about my mitzvahs. I'm worried about the good things that I do. Am I really doing it with the right motivation? Am I, is, uh, when I put on tefillin and when I daven, am I really doing it in a way that it's expressing who I really am? So in a sense, we have to do tshuva even for the mitzvahs that we do. We have to do tshuva. There's no end to how, how far we can go when doing tshuva. There's no end. If tshuva means return, returning to ourselves, to our inner selves, to our essence, we can spend our whole lives doing that. There's no end to that. We can always get that much closer. So having this understand, this deeper understanding of tshuva, what it means, it means returning to ourselves. Then it's not something which is only for averos, for sins. It's also for mitzvahs. This is this this is a deeper insight. This is a deeper insight that uh, that Hasidus gives us. Now, for, now looking at this from from another angle, if I were to ask you, how long does it take to do tshuva? How long? Uh, how long? Does it take lifetime? So the, the answer is on two levels. The answer is on two levels. There, there's, a, there's a famous Gemara that's, that's quoted to, to illustrate this point from a, uh, from a halachic perspective. There's, um, there's the halachs of, of Kiddushin, of getting married, which is, a, you know, which is a legal contract, so to speak, between husband and wife, where there has to be an exchange of, well, there's various ways of doing it, but uh, nowadays it's done with an exchange of something of value, for example, a ring, and the, the prospective husband has to make a declaration, that you are Mekudeshes, you are hereby married, consecrated to me with this ring that I'm, that I'm giving you. A person can make a condition. A person can make that conditional. A person could say, uh, you are betrothed to me on the condition that, uh, that I'll give somebody else $100 or something like that. You could make it conditional. And when the condition is met, so then the condition, the marriage, takes effect. Much like you can do that with a sale or something like that. So the Gemara talks about an interesting case. Let's say a person says to a woman, after they agree to get married, and the man says, you, you, know, you are hereby married to me on the condition that I am a tzaddik. On the condition that I am a tzaddik. You know, so if you were a rabbi, so what would you say? Is this... You know, is this, you know, how does a person meet that condition? Is this, is, this a, is this a kind of marriage that we have to legally take into account? Or is this like a, like a person saying on the condition that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Mars. Hey, a person says that, you're married on the condition I go to Mars. And obviously, the condition, the marriage is not a good, there's no way you can go to Mars. The moon, maybe nowadays, but Mars, not. Right? So, I mean, obviously, the condition, that, that's, that's a crazy condition. So let's say a person says on the condition that I'm a tzaddik. 
Gemara says, yes, it's a good Kiddushan. How can it be a good Kiddushan? How long does it take to become a Tzaddik? The Gemara says legally, legally it's a good Kiddushan because it takes one split second. If a person has a thought in his mind of doing tshuva, he's done tshuva. Yeah, because it can't be a question of time or quantity, it's a question of quality. Right. On the other hand though, on the other hand, it takes a lifetime. Notice, how long does it take to recognize who you are? It takes one split second, because that's who you are. Now, after that, having said that, it's going to take a lifetime to, so to speak, use that to clean up the mess. Where now you have to work, you have to allow that to express itself in all of your external behaviors and everything. And that's what takes a lifetime. Or to accept who you are. Um, it can take a second okay. to realize who you are, but the process of accepting that. Well, if you mean by accepting, like having it filter into your, you know, having it affect the way that you think, the way that you look at things, everything. So, so tshuva, it's, you know, there are two aspects. It takes one second to do tshuva. That's all you need. That one second of doing tshuva. Okay, but having said that, now I, now I have to express that and allow it to express itself in everything that I do. So that thought of tshuva is sort of the, the chachma flash and the rest of the time is... Hopefully, if you, I mean, you have to maintain that, you have to. Yeah. There's such a thing as instantaneous tshuva where it, it's hard to... Where it totally overwhelms, you know, it's your entire being and everything. Yeah, I mean, but that's something which has to come, that's a you know, very special occasion. I know, what, see, what Hashem does, we have to remember also, see, Hashem wants to help us out. At the same time that Hashem wants, gives us free choice, and Hashem wants it to come from us, Hashem is constantly sending us messages. Message, yeah, I mean, you know, this, this explanation that we're giving now also explains another very interesting phenomenon, which is that just out of the blue, the person feels attracted, the Jew feels attracted to doing Shuvah. And... Yeah, the question Chassidus deals with this. Where does this come from within the person? Where did the person get this arousal? I mean, kind of, I can understand if the person uh, met somebody and uh, or, or he heard something and he did this. It's okay that that you know, that uh, touched a chord within him, that you know, that uh, sparked something within him. But sometimes, just out of the way, for no apparent reason whatsoever, you feel you feel this attraction. You feel this thought. You know, I'm going to do tshuva. And this is something which everybody in their lifetime feels. Observant, non-observant. Well, all of a sudden, out of the blue, you wake up one morning and say, I really want to do good. I really want to do something special today. I really want to dive in today. I really want to... It's 12 o'clock? Yeah. You guys can continue, but I just... It seems strange. They always talk about how uh, it takes, uh, you can conquer a nation more easily than you can conquer your own habits, or even just changing one habit. And yet, at the same time, the Chazal says that you can make shuva in a fraction of a second. And it's, it, it describes what you're talking about, how difficult it is, and at the same time, that it can because, be done. Because it's, a, it, because it's on both of those levels. That's, the, that's, that's what's happening. But, but this is also explained by just out of the blue sometimes. Thinking of yeah. <laughs> so, so this also explains why just sometimes just out of the blue, a person gets this arousal uh, to do tshuva. Where is it coming from? It's that essence from the person crying out for, for expression. Now, of course, sometimes we could ignore that, and sometimes we do, but Hashem sends us these messages. 
in order to, so to speak, behind the scenes, behind the scenes, uh, help us out. If Hashem were to appear to us, if you can imagine, Hashem would appear to you, you know, you hear this, this, this heavenly voice just come over you, and you know, I want you to do such a, I mean, how, how can you resist? Okay, of course, I mean, you basically our free choice would be taken away. But, uh, so Hashem doesn't want to do that, but at the same time Hashem wants to help us, so Hashem sends us these messages. But this in a nutshell is how, this is in a nutshell is how tshuva, is how tshuva works. So, practically what a person does is, the person tries to learn about what does it mean to be a Jew, what does it mean, of, what is our relationship with Hashem, you know, to develop these ideas that I just touched on now, which of course Hasidus goes into it at, at great length, in various places, but uh, you know, this is really what it's all about. So, it doesn't matter what, where you are, so to speak, along the ladder, whether there are terrible sins that a person has to deal with, or whether you're the biggest tzaddik in the world. It doesn't make a difference. It's the same um, instrument of tshuva that Hashem has given us that we, are meant, that we are meant to utilize. So there are lower levels of tshuva where the person is dealing with actual sins. There are higher levels of tshuva where the person is um, perfecting the, the, the good that he is doing and having it express, having it express that essence. Now, there's a whole other there's a whole other aspect of tshuva which we don't have time to get into right now about how tshuva has the ability to go back into the past and to, and to actually change it and everything. That's really a whole it's a whole separate line of discussion how tshuva works that way. It is connected to what we're talking about over here because when you're talking about the essential bond, so then there is no time, so to speak. There's no past and present. That essence always remains a constant. So it's as if you never did the Aveir, that, that so to speak allows you to go back into time and to, and to transform it. Tshuva also gives you the ability to, to change the act that you do. See, see tshuva, has this, tshuva has this ability to go back into the past within the person, but also the, the act that you did to actually transform that as well. But that's, that's, that's really a whole separate... Do you mean... Last year around Yom Kippur, I think it did some work with this. Do you mean it in the sense that, like, if you sin with someone, like, if you sin with, uh, you make a sin against Mitzvot or Hashem, then it's up to you. But when there's another person involved, it involves, it has to involve that person. Oh, 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 yeah, that's, that's, you know, I'm talking even at a deeper level. But what you're saying is 100% right. But that's, that, that, that's on the, on the halacha level, where Hashem says, Hashem says, you have to fix up what you did. If you stole something from somebody, you can pray on Yom Kippur and shed all kinds of tears and everything. If you don't, if you don't return the, the stolen object, it truly doesn't mean anything. So you have to rectify the wrong that you did. But um, I'm talking about even even on a deeper level. I mean, you know, that would be like you know, punching someone in the face. The example I gave before and saying I'm sorry. Okay, so you went to the person, you said I'm sorry, and he forgave you. Okay, but in the history of time, so to speak, that that event still happened. You know, can I tra can I go back in time and change that? I can change within myself the idea that I wanted to do that because I reveal this essence on the level of the essence. There is no time, but can I really go back in time and change that act? And, and Truba does allow you to do that. Exactly how that works. I will have to leave for another time. That's a whole. That's, that, that's a whole session in itself, really. I mean, again, Truba is a gigantic subject, and there's so many facets to it. There's also the, the whole idea of tshuva connected to to Mashiach. That's, you know, that's really the whole. That's really the same idea. Tshuva is a prerequisite uh, for the coming of Mashiach. And you know what we discussed today really is the, is the key to that. 
Because when Mashiach is having that sense of reality, when Mashiach comes, what, what, what's going to happen? Besides all of the, all of the great things that are described, I mean, what's, what's essentially going to happen is that we are going to have this very strong sense, this very deep sense, in a very real way, of who we really are. So that doing tshuva, in the way that we are describing over here now, not just saying I'm sorry to Hashem and feeling bad, but really developing the sense of who I really am, this is really what Mashiach is all about. So in a sense, so this is a prerequisite, it says that you know, everyone's going to do tshuva. And doing tshuva doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to, uh, you know, again, we're talking about this essential kind of tshuva. It doesn't mean that everyone, every single Jew is necessarily going to become observant. You know, the, the, the famous question, how can Mashiach come now, you know? Most of the Jews are not, are not observant today. You would think that all the Jews have to come together, all the Jews have to become observant, and then you can bring Mashiach. That's not the case. Tshuva as a prerequisite is just having the sense of what it means to be a Jew. And, of course, how much I, I express that, now this is something where there, there will be different levels about. But this hero tshuva, that, 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 uh, that thought of doing tshuva, it takes a second. To, to have that sense because again we don't, we don't have to transform ourselves we just have to reveal and express who we really are okay so I hope this you know at least gave you a little bit uh, really this is just whetting your appetite <laughs> and to look into this concept more and to read more about it there's a lot of books in Hasidus about it also um, you should have this class at the beginning of the program <laughs> I didn't make the schedule yeah we should, have, we should have a few classes on this to develop yeah. a lot of ideas. But just, there's just so much to cover. Yeah. You can only give you a taste. Hopefully that you'll come back yeah. and you'll stay and longer that, yeah. and you'll, you'll learn more about this. But this is just a... Yeah. Also, if we would have this course at the beginning, we wouldn't have, wouldn't have heard the same way. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole process. It's also true. Things that we were... Yeah, I should go this. Yeah. Okay. What, what, what do you do with the yeshiva other than just this course? Do you teach a subject? No, no, it's not, it's not a course I teach. I teach. Um, He's a faculty member. I'm a faculty member. What course do you teach? Hasidus in the morning and uh, one of the levels of Gemara and uh, uh, Jewish law, code of Jewish law in the afternoon. The halakha. So it's just curious. Which, by the way, you should never schedule a halakha class right after you eat like a starchy lunch. You know? You have like major carbohydrates in a